Imagine what it'd be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now, here's your host for this week, Carlene Cannon. Hello, Larger Story family. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Carlene Cannon, and I'm here with my good friend, Anna Lee. I want to tell you a little bit about Anna and how I know her and why she's here talking to me today. Anna is a good friend of my daughter, Ivy. They met at Duke University, which is a really important place to all of us. Let's go, Duke. Um, and as a result, I got to know Anna through through my daughter, Ivy. Anna lives here in Atlanta, where I do. She has been part of our family for a while now. She's spent Thanksgiving with us. She's gone on a trip with my husband and my daughter in Italy. She's just been a real important part of our extended family and um and she's also been working with me on our new course that we're we've been developing for a while now. We'll be launching this year. She not only starred in a couple of videos, but she's been helping me develop the curriculum and get that set up in the digital format. So Anna, thank you so much for joining me. Looking forward to our conversation. Is there anything else that people need to know about you before we start to start talking? No, I think honestly you covered it all better than I could have done. But thank you so much also for inviting me to be part of this. It's I'm really great. glad to have you. You're really special to me and to our family. And it's just a delight that you would be willing to join me on this. So I wanted to just get some of the sort of I don't know, logistical things out of the way first and talk about the course. I think people are interested in that and we'll set the stage for maybe some of the rest of what we want to talk about. But tell me a little bit about the role you played in the videos. Like I drafted this script and just asked you to step into a role. Tell me a little bit how you felt about that because I frankly was just amazed at how well you played a role so naturally. And I think it really comes off on the videos very well. I think people are going to be, are going to respond well to them. So tell me what that was like. What you thought about it. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I think part of the reason why it probably came off that it was natural is because I definitely resonated a lot with the person I was quote unquote playing. We were talking about the pressures off by Larry Crabb and I was playing the role of the person who is always doing and trying to prove their worth by being busy. And so that is definitely something that I resonate with. I think especially when I was in college and I think the role that I was playing was almost as if I was a college student uh, Mm because she was talking about having to go to classes and all of that. And I think, and I'm sure it's for, it goes for every single college, but Duke definitely felt at times like one of those hamster wheels where if you stopped running, you would 
just fall flat, exhausted. But if you kept on running the momentum, you would eventually get to the place that you're going. And that was pretty much every day. And my calendar was like booked solid. And so I think there is a lot, especially since I was involved in the campus campus ministry and involved with crew, there was a lot of that mentality of if I keep on doing things and if I keep on being good at planning this event or if I do if I get an A in this class or that that was proving who I was as a good Duke student. And so there at Duke, we call it effortless perfection. There's that idea of, okay, you're just going to do everything really well, but with almost zero effort, which obviously is completely a lie. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a phrase that I resonate with myself. It's not enough to be perfect. You need to also do that without really spending any effort. And I think part of what draws us, in fact, when I was in college, I had a significant battle with perfectionism and the disappointment in my performance that I had never experienced until I hit college. And one of the things that I came out of that with was that my deep longing for perfection is my deep longing for God. God is perfect and he's effortlessly perfect. It, it's just endemic in who he is and it doesn't require effort on his part to be perfect. And so there's some, there's something in my compulsion to be perfect that is of God and yet I'm not God. And so the recognition that was forced on me in my college years that I'm not perfect and that I can't be perfect and that it's actually me trying to take something from God when I'm trying so hard to be perfect and all the things I miss in that was a really important part of my journey. And so I wonder how you experienced that and what were the lessons for you in the hamster wheel and the you're what three years out four years out now four years out you've actually had some good years of adulting and living in what can often be even a more vicious hamster wheel but not as maybe predictable in how in the feedback that you get. How have you experienced that sort of pressure to perform effortlessly and perfectly out after college? Yeah, no, that's honestly a great question. I think taking a step back to college, one of the things that during the summers, I think especially God really every single summer for some, <laughs> for God's reasons, but for some unknown reason, I got to this place of just being left with nothing to do, if that makes sense, which I think is interesting, especially as a Duke student, because there is that pressure of finding an internship or finding the perfect summer job or doing something really impressive with your summer. And every summer, 
no matter how hard I would try to plan and create that perfect summer, it it would honestly fall a little bit short. And so one one example of that was I did Duke Engage, which for those of you who don't know much about Duke, it's basically this really neat summer program where if you do something in the nonprofit sector, you actually will be funded. And so I, my family was living in Cambodia. They were actually just moving. And so I really desired to spend time in this culture that they had experienced. And I was like, I would like to understand it a little bit more. And so I created this independent program in Cambodia through Duke Engage. And I was supposed to be volunteering with World Vision. And essentially, no matter how much I, they would give me a job, I would get it done that day. And so every single time I would ask for something, it was, oh, we don't have anything for you right now. Can you wait? Shocked by the amount of stuff that I was able to do in such a short time. And so while I guess that was in some ways good, because I was able to help at the same time, every single day, I would get my task done for that day within an hour or two. And then I would be left at my desk doing absolutely nothing for the the rest of the time. And so it was really, honestly, it was really challenging at first because it was going from that hamster wheel to just having no, just nothing to do. And so I really felt like God hindsight, obviously at the time, frustrating, but looking back, I ended up spending that time reading my Bible at my desk or like journaling, reading a bunch of books. And through that summer, I, and I was actually at the end of the summer that I was in this prayer group, this prayer service. And I just felt like God put the story of Mary and Martha on my heart. And I just felt really convicted about that. And I read it aloud and I just was sharing, this is something that I'm totally the Martha. And this summer, God just stripped that entire identity, really, that I had placed on myself of having the pressure to constantly do things and just forced me to sit at his feet. And so I just really felt like that analogy um, really rang true. And then again, COVID. And so that I would say COVID, I know it did it for a lot of people, but I had just graduated and I was working with crew as an intern the summer or the year after I graduated from Duke at Duke. And then COVID happened. And that again, because I probably worked, I'm ashamed to say, probably over 60, 70 hours a week during that year, just because there was always so much that could be done on campus. And so COVID just hit me like a bullet. I was just, Lim, you're done. There's nothing left to do. And so I I took that the week after, I think it was like March 13th that Trump had this announcement of everything shutting down. Yeah. So the week, <laughs> that week after I literally fasted and prayed for the whole week. And again, it was just like, okay, God, I don't have any plans. I don't know what I'm doing afterwards. And so really, I'm just, I need to trust you. And I just need to reset. 
And so I think honestly, because COVID took all of the possibility of doing for that summer, really, of 2020, that I think God really used that to just, again, strip that performance mindset. Not that I don't have it still, <laughs> but it was definitely like a let's, Anna, let's reset this and let's come into this with a new kind of mentality of how to live life. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all have our COVID story. And I do think one of the themes across people is how at least disruptive it was in the way that we were all feeding our interior world and what made us okay. And so I'm curious as you talk about the times where God just intervened and put the brakes on the hamster wheel. I have this picture in my head, this poor little hamster like flopping around when the wheel just comes to an immediate stop. Like what? As you sat with God, which I find on the one hand, I can appreciate how disruptive that was and maybe even traumatic in some ways, certainly some of those situations you described. And yet also it feels very kind of God to step into your story in such a a visible way. I'm wondering, as you were engaging with him in those sort of enforced moments of stillness and maybe solitude and quiet, were you aware of, or did you become aware of what the busyness was doing for you? What it was either protecting or promoting or providing for you? When it was stripped away, did it become clear how it was propping you up in some way? I think really, and I probably a lot of people can relate to this, but I I think it really was the whole worth of you are what you do. And really it's, and if you think about it from the world perspective, what do you do for me? And I think that even when you're, thinking about your friends, it's always, okay, what are they doing for me? And even that idea of, okay, if there's somebody who's, and I think that there are good and bad things, good and bad things, that philosophy of, okay, is somebody your friend, if they're only stripping your energy, because obviously you you do have to have that, that sense of, okay, is this healthy? But I think that still is wrapped up in this idea of, okay, I'm only going to be friends with you if you if you make me feel good about myself or if you do good things or if you serve me or. And so I think even from a friendship perspective, that's big, but then from a cultural perspective, it's all about how we're performing. Are we contributing to society? Are we contributing even in the church? It's like, how are we contributing to the church? And so I think it, it's this subtle twist of a really good principle of servant hardened. But I think it also can be a slippery slope of when does it stop becoming servant heartedness and when does it actually just become performance? 
and like a buying or a selling of, okay, I'm doing this for God. So he's going to bless me, or I'm doing this for other people so that they're friends with me, or I'm doing this for fill in the blank for my job. So I get a promotion or I'm doing this for my classes. So I get an A it's this transactional um, relationship really, rather than a unconditional love. That's what the Bible says. Jesus was servant hearted, but it wasn't because he was trying to buy anything. Um, Had his identity fully set in God and in, in his identity as the son of God. And so I think that there, for me, that there was that slippery slope of, okay, I'm trying to do this to win approval. And for me, it was oftentimes to win approval of man. Um, and that was my way of buying friendship. However bad that sounds looking back at it. Yeah. But so I think really he showed me at the end of the day, like all we have is Christ, right? Like at the end of the day, if we're not focused on the kingdom of heaven as our ultimate goal, then we're just filling in and trying to, trying to create that on earth, which is just not, it's never going to actually satisfy. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that people pleasing really got hit a little hard. I, um, gosh, there's so many threads I could pull in what you were just saying. But one thing that stuck in my mind and the way you described how, and I don't even recall exactly what you were talking about, but you use the words, it's like this subtle twist. And I just kind of hung on to that phrasing because I think so many of our efforts and our desires and the intent that we move toward people with can have this suddenly this little subtle twist that just takes the like the goodness as you were saying out of the servant leadership and makes it more about me accruing something for myself and i think that happens in all sorts of different situations. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about that because I find, as I just, I think maybe this is, at least for me, what the busyness will do, how it protects me is if I'm moving too fast, I lose track of those subtle ticks that, where things go off track and in my heart and my head and it does often take some sort of unforeseen and somewhat unpleasant disruption to bring me back to oh yeah that happened and I wasn't aware of it how do you one how do you experience that and two um what do you think the role of other people is in that sort of recalibrating or even just increasing awareness of when the internal like barometer is off, you know, where it needs to be, it needs to be reset. 
Yeah. And it's actually funny because when you were, <laughs> after I said it, and then as you were talking, it, I was even thinking back to even the course and how we talk about desire. I think that also is a lot of, and when we were planning the course and talking about, um, that really hit me of even, this is the desire that I'm, that I have, and then this is the action. But again, you're always going back to what's the root of, because, because the actual desire might not be right. Because God gives us desires and he gives us these emotions, but then it's also, okay, what do we do with them? And how do those actually manifest in in our daily life and in, in what we're going for? So I think, yeah, I think that was a huge also realization for me is, okay, the desire is to, to serve. And so I think that that's maybe when you're saying, how do you actually tell? I think it's when you look at your desires and you're like, what is my desire behind this action? If my desire behind this action is because I want to serve this person, they're going through a really hard time, I want to be there for them in that, or is it, I want to be there for that person so that they like me? And so I think that is really, it's like always having to go back and checking, okay, where is actually, where's my heart at? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's where, and I think your family has been really instrumental in me unveiling that because as a kid, you just, as a kid, I, I feel like I was just trained to do things. And it was like, if the action is good, then that's good. As opposed to where's your heart behind it? Because yeah. the action is what gets rewarded. People don't really, <laughs> they don't really think about, oh, did she have a good heart? No, they think about, oh, she did this. And that was really great that she did this for that person. Or she got an A. That's really great that she got an A. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think one of the things that you know, in having conversations with Ivy and having conversations with you, with Rich, I think one of the things that you all have really taught me is like how to actually get at the underlying desire that goes with the action. And I think that's where other people entering into those conversations with you can be really helpful because yeah. oftentimes I'll be unaware of it. And then if somebody's like, oh, so why did you do that? Then I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I did not do that for out of the goodness of my heart. And it's that conviction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. There's. <clears throat> what makes God and sets him apart from us is he doesn't have those places of fragmentation or misalignment, like his desires and his actions and his thoughts and his feelings. And he is always the same and always consistent and always aligned. And they all work in harmony. And we got broken in the fall and those things are all out of whack. And it often is only through conversation that you become aware of because the twists are slight. I, I thought that was a really good description because it's not always, sometimes it's glaringly obvious, but most of the time it's pretty nuanced and subtle. And so 
one of the things that um, that I actually, so I'm going to out myself a little bit here, that I actually find so powerful about these conversations that I have been privileged to have with you and my own children and other younger people who are friends of yours is that is a good reminder and reflection back to me of where things have gotten off in me because there's Mm a I've had 30 more years of pain than you have 30 more years of responding to the circumstances of life in ways that are unhealthy and unkind and unloving and and have built up protective strategies that are really hard to untangle and not turn to in moments of difficulty. And so often you guys will remind me and point out to me places where my heart has gotten hard or um, just fallen into some uh, un pleasant ruts or just inappropriate ruts of hopelessness or futility or cynicism. And so Mm. talking with you and others, you know, in your peer group and is really helpful to me. And I I want that to be clear in all of these conversations that you do as much for me, probably more for me than anything we do as we talk to you. I want to go back to one more kind of little avenue on this performance thing. One of the phrases that we've used in the course that you and I worked on together that continues to stir something in me that says you're not there yet (laughs) is just a simple phrase that like is what is energized what are you energized more by a beauty that draws you or a pressure that drives you and excuse me we've talked we talk in the course a lot about the beauty of god the relational beauty of god that draws us to him versus this pressure that we've all or at least most everybody I talk to has absorbed from our fallen world that we must do and we must do a certain way at a certain level in order to be good to as all the things you said. Have you experienced anything where that sort of energy has shifted from a pressure that drives you to a beauty that draws you in? And would you mind sharing if you have? And if not, what do you think are the things that get in the way of that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Gosh, I think. So I think something that I. I really find. Making space to be a really important part of being driven by the beauty or being pulled by the beauty that drives you or sorry the beauty that draws you as opposed to the pressure that drives you I think that 
when I, when I, again, go with the rat race of, okay, I'm going to schedule my calendar. Every single moment has to be packed. That's when I find myself really getting, feeling that pressure. Yeah. And I think honestly that that, that's, <laughs> it's sometimes hard for me to push back on that because I, and this might just be me, but I sometimes feel like I do better when I have that, pre- like the pressure is like a fire. It's okay. I, I was totally that person who wrote papers the night before Yeah, they were due. And I never was one of those people who could plan out mm-hmm. a month in advance and start on the outline and then, and then write as the weeks went on. So I think that there's that there's that reliance sometimes on, okay, I need that pressure in order to perform well. And so I think what I've had to do is allow myself the space to rebuke that in me a little bit. And so I think, and I think that, that one of the things that my husband and I are, have really just, we've really just started it, but we were like, we really need to create space for more space for being in the word and just like allowing that to take time as opposed to it just being something that we need to get done. And so we've even had it like started having it be a time over dinner because we're like, that's a time where we're going to have to eat every single night and I'm not very good at waking up in the morning. <laughs> and so just in all transparency, it was not getting done when I was like, oh, I'm going to do this in the morning. And so even creating that space of like, we're going to have dinner and we're, we're going to read the Bible every single night and talk and just allow that to not be a pressure filled time, but instead just be like, okay, it's going to get done when it's going to get done. And I think also like even nature for me is a really big place where I just feel that space. I don't know. I don't know a better word for it where I can just take a walk and it's okay. This is a time where I'm not going to try to get back before. And just, I don't know. I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think just almost pressurizing the space of like just booking it into the calendar so that you can't actually take away from it. Um, and I'm not good at it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the first to say, but I think trying to, trying to respect that as like a, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a great answer. Well, I appreciate your willing to struggle with the question. And I find that a really challenging thing as well. And part of it is so much of my actual formation almost eschewed the idea of beauty. Like beauty is at best kind of a sort of frivolous, empty pursuit. And to actually get in my head that Psalms are rife with God with David and the psalmist talking about how beautiful God is and how he just gazes yeah. at God's beauty and you know that he's captivated by beauty and we all have experienced that whatever kind of beauty it is that draws us <laughs> and 
So I think you're right to say part of it is just becoming disciplined in being aware and being open to how God might invade your day with something beautiful and with his love. And so that's a different kind of spiritual discipline or spiritual reality than most of my Christian life has been characterized by. It is a paradigm shift in a little bit of a, in a way, because the pressure does offer its own sort of implicit form of discipline. And you have to check boxes and you have to, you have to do. And there's a little bit of fear in just being still and seeing what happens. So you mentioned your husband, Walker, who also has been a part of our lives for the last year. And we've greatly enjoyed getting to know him. Tell me a little bit about, you guys have been married a little over a year now. So how does the, does this idea of relationality and relational holiness, relational formation, like how does it influence the two of you as you're building your future and your family as we speak? (laughs) These were ideas we did not have any notion of 31 years ago when we were in your shoes. And so I'm really curious to know how you guys have grappled with some of this and, you know, how it's impacted your first year of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been, I think it's been definitely a journey and I, yeah, I really also appreciate you and Rich being, <laughs> being part of that. Cause I really, I think we both see that as definitely having conversations either individually with you two or with the both of you has been really helpful, I think. So I, I appreciate also even you say that you didn't have that concept, but I think now having that frame of mind and being able to look back and see, okay, this is this is where we were 31 years ago and here are the lessons that we've learned. That's been instrumental in our lives and also in our marriage so far. We definitely appreciate that just to, well, just to you. put that out. Yeah. But I think to answer your question, I think, I think the out, so I think one of the things that I've really gathered and was something that we set out with was, and now plans are a little bit up in the air of Walker. He was applying to med school. He might be now going into engineering. And so I think, but with that sort of, again, pressure, mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't use that word, but with that idea in mind, <laughs> okay, a year after marriage, he might be going into med school for the next four years. And then there's the whole residency. And so there's going to be at the time, there's going to be this 10 year span of like intensity. Yeah. And so I think when we got married, we were like, we have to make the most out of this one year and not necessarily in terms of doing tons of things or 
trying to get as much done, although we've, we have also tried to make the most of our time that way. But I think just that urgency of yeah. we really want to spend this first year of marriage and obviously the rest of the years too, but just really focusing on building our relational relationship and getting to know each other and having the hard conversations. I think that's one of the biggest things of the idea of relational holiness is it doesn't just happen overnight. It's not just something that you can switch on because we're all, we're all people. And so I think that, um, that priority of having hard conversations about where, what our personalities are, where we differ, but also how we see the world, like how our upbringings, how our childhood um, has influenced and shaped our way of way of thinking about family or thinking about marriage. That's been a really big thing that I think we both have really wanted to pursue and think about. And then, yeah. And then also just like how we relate to each other. And with marriage also comes this like constant being with each other. And obviously that, (laughs) that exposes a lot of sin issues. I think even like for me, just being constantly being like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm not perfect. Oh, I already knew that. But I think being, having somebody else who's like a constant, um, I, oh, constant witness (laughs) to your inner thoughts or to your inner, your at-home actions, I think that is a really big accountability. And so I think even just having to face that both in ourselves, but also in each other, okay, we recognize that this might be an area where we need to grow. What does that look like? Um, So I think that, yeah, I know that's a lot of (laughs) all the different sort of areas in which it changes. And for those of you who are married, it probably you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Duh. <laughs> but obviously for a newly married, it's like, oh, this is this these are the things that you don't really think about until yeah. you're in that situation. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. It's ironic that you talked about the newness of having a witness to your good and bad and ugly days. And we were just, Rich and I, my husband and I were having a conversation about about that. When you're for the first time in a one-bedroom apartment with somebody and there's not a roommate who has their own, like you're building a life together, you are exposed. That's a really good word. And, and a lot surfaces that you might have thought before you could keep contained. We were just having a conversation about at our stage of life now, we have this house that has three floors and we have lots of places we can go. In a one bedroom apartment, there's not very much space that you can use to keep yourselves separated. And he was just sharing about a friend who has a much different living situation and him and his wife struggle in different ways because that very thing, you just can't get away. And so there's a real goodness in God in those early years, putting some boundaries around 
your time together. And I think it's really wise. One thing I'm appreciated about you and Walker is you're thinking ahead and thinking about the intensity that could be coming, which by the way, will come if it's med school or something else, but to really take advantage of this year and be very intentional about building a strong foundation. I I don't think we were smart enough to really be thinking that way when we were your age. I really admire that about you too. And you guys have pursued us probably more than we pursued you in just wanting to have conversation and wanting to share your decisions and what's going on. And that's been, like I said earlier, that's a really powerful, it's a powerful witness to me of the internal posture that I think we all should have of humility, of openness, of curiosity, and like a real awareness that we need each other. I struggle and certainly would have struggled with those things at your age. I was driven by a pressure to figure it out and have it all together and not only figure, but figure it out on my own. And both of you, both you and Walker have demonstrated a kind of, yeah, I can't, the word that just this winsome humility of wanting people involved and wanting to learn and and desiring for people to come alongside and be part of your team. And that's been a very meaningful and privileged experience for me. And I think I speak for Rich when he says that too. So that brings me to kind of where I wanted to land this plane today. And you're aware of this because you have worked with me here at Larger Story. But one of the things that we really want to do is to help support people and equip them and galvanize them as they go into their world and have the kind of conversation you and I are having. We have had in the past and it, it starts to make this kind of the norm as opposed to something that people might think is unusual. If you were to talk to somebody more like in, on my side of things, like further along, what would your advice or best practices be for someone in my shoes who wants to have a meaningful relationship with people who are younger but may not know how to do that may not have like I have some things built in because of my children who have friends and what would you say to someone like me who would love to be in relationship with someone your age or your stage of life and it finds that difficult yeah so I think 
and obviously this is from my perspective, so I, I can't speak That's for everyone. Josh, you know what you have to say, Anna. <laughs> for everyone from my age. But I honestly think, I think it really is just a, a willingness to enter in because I will say I'm just, like I, like I mentioned before, like Walker and I are so blessed by having people like you and Rich who are willing to do that. Because I think oftentimes there's, for instance, in college, and I was super blessed to be part of a Christian ministry where they did have every single person who wanted to be discipled had the opportunity to be discipled. Yeah. And that was huge. Just having somebody who I could go to and say, hey, look, this is what's going on in my life. And I really, I really could use some godly wisdom. And so that coming out of college, especially it just feels like a vacuum. Like you, like the first year after having graduated, especially if you're going to someplace new where you don't have a bunch of people who, you know, it can be really lonely. Um, And even especially during COVID, that was definitely a hard transition. And so I think just having, uh, we and we just, for those of you on, in the audience, we, or who are listening, we just moved to Atlanta. And so um, for us, that was a huge blessing because then we were able to come to your house and, and enter into that relationship of, and fellowship um, but not everyone has that connection with somebody who's older. And I think especially in the church, it can be daunting mm-hmm. to go up to someone and say, Hey, can you disciple me? Or, Hey, I would love some godly wisdom on this because it just, it's a very daunting thing. And so the fact that you and Rich both have offered that and are willing to enter that conversation and willing to give us wisdom. <laughs> and especially from somebody who is not our parents, because you really do offer this like unbiased, maybe not completely unbiased, but just like <laughs> more neutral space where we can come with problems. And even if they're occurring in our family, like that's also so helpful. And so I would just say, be willing to even make an to take the initiative. If you notice someone who's my age, invite them to lunch. Cause I personally I would always try to say yes. I know for guys, I could speak to Walker. If you have food, he will come. <laughs> I don't think that ever, ever ends. <laughs> but I think, you know, just like having coffee. I'm just kidding. He would come for other reasons, but just having coffee or like having lunch with somebody just to break the ice, get to know each other. And then I don't know, like seeing where it goes, but I think just being willing to, that's something that I try to do is like offer, like invite, but, and I know it's oftentimes that's putting yourself out there. So, and we're all busy. So there's, there are multiple facets to that, but I've been really blessed by people who in the past have 
offered. And I think that's made such a huge difference in my life. Again, it's everyone wants to be known. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be loved. And I mean, that that's just been, I really feel like God has just throughout my life put people yeah. into it who are just willing to do that. And that's been such an instrumental part of my, yeah, of my life. <laughs> I don't know how better to say it, but. No, I love that. I think one of the things I've learned later about God is just how invitational he is. And it's hard for me to offer those invitations. My husband, my children are much better at that. I tend to have this sense that people don't want an invitation from me. They don't care if they if you want an invitation from them or not. They're just going to offer it. And so I actually get to benefit from that a lot. But um but I think you're onto something because God's nature is essentially invitational. That's the whole story of the incarnation and is making a way for us to accept the invitation that he's been offering from the beginning of time. Being willing to offer an invitation and it might be rejected, it might not, it might be awkward. All those things are sound more like middle school thoughts than middle age thoughts, but they all, <laughs> I don't think that goes away with age. <laughs> so, <Definitely not. laughs> so I think, I think, your advice is really insightful and and helpful just to have the courage to to offer the invitation. So one more question on the flip side of that, if you were to talk to other people who are your age or in your stage of life, what advice would you give them about both about what it means to to seek Jesus and do this adulting thing, but also, like how to bring people into that with you on your journey, especially people who might be further along and might have a different perspective than your peers. Yeah. Gosh. I think, I think what I was saying earlier of just the idea of space, I think is really important because I think that, again, the rat, like the rat race never ends. The hamster wheel never ends. And you can fill up your time with as much as you want, really. But I just think that that idea of, and that's actually something that Walker's really good at. And he also, he's like very, he's good at setting boundaries and saying, no, I'm really bad at that. And so he'll actually be like, Anna, you need to say no to that. You need to, it's, it's five, it's six o'clock and you're still doing work. Anna, shut down your computer. It's that kind of, I think that accountability goes a long way too, of having somebody in your life. I have a friend who we still will text and just say like, how is your quiet time? Have you been spending time with God lately? And I think that also is just really valuable to have that accountability partner who's making sure that you're not just, again, it's so hard in the moment to sense like my desires for this, the desires behind this action are not good. It's so, God has given us community for a reason. And so I think even having somebody who you can go to, who's going to ask those hard questions, 
that can be a peer, it also can be somebody older. And so I think that there is that like, as long as you have somebody and, and honestly, the more people, the better, the more people who, because there are going to be weeks where you'll go without talking to one person and that it, there are just seasons of your life in which sure. I think different people are so instrumental. But I think also the biggest thing that I'm not always good at is just recognizing like I don't know everything. And so I think I think that also is really important <laughs> to just and that's where I think it's it, with the marriage a whole idea of like newly married that's something I was like I don't know and so that to me that was a lot easier to kind of go to people mm-hmm. like you and Rich and just say hey I would love to yeah know more about how to operate under this because I'm I it's a new thing so I think even finding those places where you're like, I really don't know anything about this area or I really need some wisdom. And then I think that can also lead into other areas because then once you get into that habit of asking, then it becomes, it becomes a habit. And so then it's like, and Carlene, and hopefully you feel like this because I definitely want it. You can speak into more areas of my life besides, and I feel like you, you have, uh, besides just marriage but it's just like getting to know a person find one thing that you really would like to develop and maybe it's a character flaw or maybe it's a certain situation you're in and then find somebody who you feel like has some wisdom on that matter and ask them again it's it's all about the asking and I think that can go both ways but it's about asking somebody Hey, I would love to get coffee with you and learn more about your experience with yeah. X, Y, and Z. And they might say no, but also they might say yes. And then it could actually become really almost like an unofficial discipleship. Yeah. I don't know. Those are, <laughs> again, just no, my. Those are great. That is really, really good advice, good thoughts. A couple of things you said that really stuck out to me. When you said something to the effect of, I don't know everything. I think one of the things that's so daunting for me in these conversations is you come and talk to Rich and I about the first year of marriage. And I actually feel incredibly humbled and often almost totally unworthy to act to have that conversation with you because I'm so aware of what we didn't know what we don't know how much I fail is so there's actually something redemptive for me in those conversations because it's okay like it's okay not to know it's okay and I I'll struggle in a conversation to think 30 years and I still am getting this wrong <laughs> or I still not further along or, and it, what I often experience in the conversation is God's kindness to remind me that I'm on a journey 
and you're on a journey and our journeys intersect in these really important places and that he promises to be there. Yeah. And it's as disappointed maybe as I am that in 30 years, I don't have better advice for you. He's actually not disappointed with me. Oh, he's still able to use whatever little bit I offer. And that it's taking those pitiful little minnows and crusty crumbs of bread and turning that into whatever he's going to turn it into. Anna, thank you so much. I always like talking to you. It's always not only enjoyable, but really encouraging and inspiring. Yeah, it inspires me to to do more, to not settle. So thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> I also really appreciate all that you, all the wisdom. I will argue with that scrap of crumbs and <laughs> analogy. I'm going to say it's a lot more than that, yeah. but I really appreciate it. Um, all, all the wisdom that you have given. Thank you, Anna. Um, and hopefully we'll get to do this again. I'd love to talk to you again sometime on screen. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you for hanging in there in our conversation. And we hope that God uses something to bless your life today. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com.